So turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. We'll begin reading in verse 1. So Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, and we'll read on down through verse 11. And I won't make you stand uh, today unless you really want to. Uh, so to read God's word, so feel free to stay seated and let me get myself arranged here. All right. Philippians chapter one, verse one, God's word says, Paul and Timothy servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Holy Father, we come before you now, and we ask that you would be honored and you would be glorified through the preaching of your word so that every heart might confess that Christ is Lord. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. What powerful words those are. Thank you. Thank you is a statement of gratefulness. A statement of gratefulness for something that you don't deserve. When you say thank you, you are declaring humbly that you have received something that you don't deserve. Are you a thankful person? I cannot recall ever meeting somebody who would describe themselves as being not thankful. Have you? Have you ever met anyone who described themselves as an unthankful person or an ungrateful person? Well, when it comes to your own life, are you really a thankful person? Are you really a thankful person? Will your family at your funeral remember you as a thankful person or a thankless person? Brothers and sisters in, in Christ, how do you know if you are growing as a believer? Well, there's a number of ways. But one of the ways we know that we are growing as a believer is that you are growing in thankfulness. And Paul begins his letter here to the Philippians, as we saw last week, he begins it by talking about thankfulness. He begins this letter with a thankful and joyous heart. There he is in chains. He's, despite his beatings, his shipwreck, his persecution, he's thankful. Why? Because of the joy that he had in Christ. Friend, do you have that joy? Paul is able to be thankful despite his chains because of the courage that comes from being in Christ. We saw that last week, right? 
courageous joy in Christ. And remember, we went back to Acts 16 last week and we, we saw how the church in Philippi started. Remember that? In Acts 16, Paul was, was there. He started the church. He's thrown in prison. And do you remember what Paul was doing in prison? What was he doing? He was singing praises to God. Paul doesn't just talk about always rejoicing as we see in Philippians 4 verse 14. No, he lived it. And so he begins this letter with thankfulness and joy. And so we'll see that thankfulness and that joy all throughout these verses 3 through 11. And so Paul is writing this. If you remember, he's in prison. He's received a monetary gift from the Philippians through Epaphroditus. And just as Paul was singing joyfully in prison in Acts 16, now he is writing to the Philippians of his joy from prison. So look how he begins. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ. So he begins this letter, Paul. Who is Paul? Paul had been a Jew who hated Christians. He likely didn't care for Gentiles either. But then he, he met Jesus and God graciously saved him. And he made him a missionary to the Gentiles. In fact, you can read about in chapter 3, Philippians 3, verses 1 through 11, Paul explains how he was a very religious person. But he could not earn his salvation. He could not earn God's favor. He could not earn God's righteousness. The righteousness, salvation had been given to him by faith in Jesus Christ. In chapter 3, verses nine, verse 9, he says, That I might be found in him, having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. You hear that? Righteousness, our right standing before God, is a gift that is given to him. It was a gift that was given to him, and he was transformed by it. Well, it's Paul and Timothy. Who was Timothy? Well, Timothy's mother was a Jewish and his father was Greek. He became a Christian by God's grace as well. And he had been transformed by God's grace and he would be used by God to strengthen many of the churches that Paul planted all throughout the Mediterranean. And how does he describe himself and Timothy? These two men, servants of Christ Jesus. Many of your translations kind of smooth out that word there. That word is literally slaves. And Paul, his humility is apparent here. Paul doesn't identify his authority as an apostle, but he shows them his humility, which is another important theme throughout this letter. Humility. He's a slave of Christ. But what about you? How would you describe yourself? What's your story? What's your testimony? Are you a Christian? Or do you think that Christianity is just behaving good? Is that what Paul is talking about here? The righteousness that he received was simply because he was good? No. Christianity is not simply about behaving good. It's not. It's about Jesus. 
trusting in Jesus, that he has lived a life that we could not have lived, that he has died the death that we all deserve to die. Christianity is about humbling ourselves, repenting of our sins, embracing Jesus as the all-sufficient Savior. It's about finding your joy, not in the circumstances of your life. No, it's about finding joy in Christ Jesus despite your circumstances about following faithfully after King Jesus. So friend, what about you? Who are you? Are you a slave of Christ Jesus? Do you trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? If not, you can do that right now. Friend, will you believe in him? Paul and Timothy, servants, slaves of Christ Jesus to all the saints. That's an incredible statement, isn't it? They are saints? How are they saints? Why are they saints? Are they saints because they're very religious, because they perform lots of good deeds? Were they saints because the Pope recognized them as such? I'm getting ahead of myself in church history there, right? No, they are not saints because they were canonized or because they performed some miracle or simply because they lived good lives. They were saints because of that phrase that we see right after that. To all the saints in Christ, in Christ Jesus. They were saints because they have placed their faith in Jesus who conquered the grave. So friend, are you in Christ? Have you placed your faith in Christ Jesus? If so, then we are saints. We are made holy by what Christ has done for us. And he goes on in the introduction, he says, with the overseers and deacons. Now, who are these? Who are the overseers and deacons at Philippi? Well, these are the church leaders. Remember our series on Titus that we did a couple months ago? Seems like years ago, right? Well, we talked about the two offices in the church of pastors and deacons. Well, here we see the overseers and deacons. We talk about pastors and deacons, elders and deacons. The word used for that office that we call pastor today is interchangeable throughout the New Testament with elder, overseer, pastor, and shepherd. So, you know, I didn't just make up those terms. No, it's here in Scripture. And it's incredible because remember how this church started. It started with a businesswoman, a slave girl, and the Philippian jailer. And now they've grown and they have church leaders. They have pastors and deacons. He goes on to say in verse two, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As we saw last week, everything we need are expressed in those two words. And now Paul, after beginning his introduction to this, uh, to this letter, he's now going to dive into his thanksgiving and his prayer for them. He is going to explain how he prays for them. And so he's thankful for them. He's thankful for the Philippians because they are gospel partners. So look with me at verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So there Paul is sitting in the Roman prison and his mind travels across Italy over the Ignatian way to Philippi. And as he thinks of the church at Philippi, he begins to pray for them. 
And he's full of joy and he's full of thankfulness for what? Because of their gospel partnership. He's thankful for them, for all that they have done in partnering together for the advance of the gospel. Last week, uh, David, in his Sunday school lesson, he was talking about Jesus healing the ten lepers. And only one of them, a Samaritan, returned. Jesus heals ten, but only one returns praising God and, and thanking Jesus for his, for his healing. You know, we all like to think we're more like that one leper, right? That we're thankful, the healed leper, that we're thankful. But far too often, we're like the other nine. We get what we wanted, and now we're off. But not Paul. There he is. He's in prison, still thankful for their partnership in the gospel. So friends, are, you, are your prayers full of joy and full of thankfulness? When was the last time you, you prayed to God and you thanked him for his great salvation? When was the last time you thanked God uh, for Jesus taking care of your worst problem of sin and death through his cross and resurrection? When was the last time you thanked God for what he was doing, what he is doing in your life? Or are your prayers more full of, God, please do this for me. God, please give me this. Have you expressed your thanks to God recently? Or do you think it's God's job to give you what you think he owes you? If you are an entitled person, you will not be thankful. Could some of you think of someone in your life who is an entitled person? I'm sure you can. We can easily spot entitlement in other people's lives far easier than we can spot it in our own lives. But did you think for a moment about yourself? It's easier to see other people's sin than it is to see our own sinful blind spots. Friends, that's why we need each other. That's why we need each other to speak truth in our lives. That's why we need each other for this gospel partnership as Paul is describing here. There is Paul joyfully praying for them because of their partnership. From the first day until now, as he says there. Paul, being in prison, would have been looked down upon. There were many who abandoned him. Yet the Philippians continue to be there for him. In chapter 4, verses 14 through 15, Paul describes how they supported him when, they, when he began his ministry. And now, even while he's in jail, they're concerned for him. Instead of abandoning Paul, they're still there for him. Oh, to have friends like these Philippians. He goes on in verse 6, and he gives them another reason for his joy, for his thankfulness. Look with me at verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Another reason for his joy here is he knows that God's work of grace in the life of the believer is unstoppable. God is going to continue and complete the work he began in the lives of the Philippians. Believers, we should rejoice that God will have a people from every tribe and tongue and nation that will give him honor and glory at the day of Jesus Christ. And this verse here teaches us about our salvation. Salvation from beginning to end is God's work. We receive salvation by faith 
in Christ alone, by grace alone, and to the glory of God alone. All of this, all of salvation is a gift that we have received by faith, not by works. God sovereignly continues this work in us as he was doing here for the Philippians. We see that God had started the work. He's continuing the work and he will one day finish the work. In other words, the way that theologians describe this is justification, sanctification and glorification. And this work of salvation is a good work flowing from the goodness of God. Believer, God is not done with you. No matter if you are young or old, God's work in your life is not finished. He is continuing to grow you. He continues to work in you. And one day he will finish that work in you. So may you continue to grow in grace. So it teaches us about our, our salvation. So Paul's thankful because of their partnership. He's thankful. He's joyful because God is continuing to work in their lives. And let's skip on down to verse 9. And we're going to see what Paul really begins to specifically pray for the church in Philippi. Look with me at verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So Paul prays that their love would abound more and more. Notice that Paul doesn't qualify the love there. He doesn't say love for God or love for one another. He simply says love. So a lot of a question that comes to mind is, well, what love is he talking about? Is he talking about love for God would abound or their love for one another? I think from all of scripture, we could answer that it's love for God and for one another. May God increase our love for him and that love flow out in our love for others. Love for others who are not just like us or who are easy to love, but love for those who can be difficult to love. You see, biblical love, brothers and sisters, is not a sentimental, gushy sort of love. Not the kind of love you see on the Hallmark Channel. It's a courageous and sacrificial love. Biblical love involves preferring others over yourself. And so Paul prays that they would grow in love. Because as we'll see as we make our way through the book of Philippians, that the church needed more love and more unity. And so this letter is going to deal with issues such as unity and selfish ambition and other struggles among the members of this congregation. And I hope and I pray that we here at First Baptist would be known as a church that loves each other. Not just some of our members, but all of them. And I understand for some of you men here, love doesn't sound very manly. But let's be honest. One of the most courageous acts in the world today is self-sacrificial and committed love. To love your family, to love your spouse, your children, and your church, and to stay committed to them takes courage in our day. And Paul doesn't say just love for love's sake. No, Paul prays that their love would also abound with what? Knowledge. You see that? So he prays in verse 9 that they, their love may abound more and more with knowledge. In order to love God, we must know him. 
How can you love someone you don't know? If we don't have the knowledge of God that comes from his word, then we will not love in a way that glorifies God and it blesses and encourages other people. We live in a culture where there's societal pressure on the church that that pressures people to want to separate knowledge of God from love. And, And love in our culture, the secular culture, is seen as tolerance. If you're a tolerant person, then you're loving, especially if you're tolerating sin rather than knowledge and truth from God. If you simply state that the Bible teaches that homosexuality or abortion is wrong, then you're labeled as intolerant and unloving. But love, Christian love, is tied to truth. In Ephesians 4 verse 15, Christians are to be those who speak the truth in love. It's not loving to tell someone that sin is okay. But there's a loving way to confront someone in sin. It's not loving to call someone an idiot or other names and just simply say, well, I'm speaking the truth. That's foolishness. And you know, most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we fall out of balance here. We either compromise in the name of love and we don't speak the truth, or we speak the truth in an unhelpful and foolish way. And so we need to be asking ourselves, where might we be out of balance? Do we compromise in the name of love and not speak the truth? Or do we speak the truth in an unhelpful and foolish way? Believer, your speech is to give others grace and to build them up. That love abounds with knowledge. But not just knowledge. Look what else Paul says there. Your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. All discernment. One pastor put it this way. Knowledge asks the question, what is right? And discernment asks the question, what is best? So we say discernment. What is best? Maybe you confront someone in their sin. Well, would it be best when you're going to confront them by starting off and saying that you're dumb to even do that? No, that's not wise and discerning, right? Discernment. My goodness, how many Christians need more of this? Oh, that God would give us all more discernment. I hope and pray that God would raise up more believers and Christian leaders who do not sell their souls to a donkey or to an elephant, but who truly live as if life is for Christ. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is king. Not a donkey, not an elephant, no political party is king. Jesus is king. Who is your allegiance to? It seems like we live in a day when so many in American Christianity that their allegiance is ultimately to politics and not to King Jesus. It seems like we live in a day as if politics is the new religion. Believer, who has your allegiance? Paul, for him to write there at the opening that Jesus is Lord, as we see in verse 2. 
For him to write that is to go against a Roman emperor, to go against the, politi- the, pop- the popular political party, if you will. To say that Jesus is Lord and not Caesar is Lord was a life and death statement. But I wonder how many today would be able to say the same. It seems that so many Christians today are so quick to defend every action of ungodly leaders, so quick to defend ungodliness, and yet so slow to share and defend the biblical gospel. So many Christians are so quick to evangelize with their preferred political party than they are to evangelize with the only gospel that saves. Discernment. Oh, that God would give us discernment. So love, how can I prefer someone else above myself? Knowledge, what is right? Discernment, what is best? Paul's prayer is that they would grow in love, knowledge, and discernment. And we see the reason for that in verses 10 and 11. So that, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, the glory and praise of God. So that we would do all of this in light of that day, the day of Christ when he returns. Believer, unbeliever, Do you live in view of that day? Believer, live in view of that day of Jesus' return. Are you pursuing what is pure and what is right? Don't go throughout your day living for yourself. To live is Christ. To the unbeliever, I say, live in view of that day as well. And may you go from not believing in Jesus to believing in him. Trust in Jesus as your righteousness. Trust in him and he will wash all your sinful guilt away. Trust in the one in Jesus who paid it all, who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. So that, so that you would live in light of that day. So why does Paul, full of joy and thankfulness, pray for love and knowledge and discernment in light of the day of Christ? We see that in verses 10 and 11. So that they be pure they be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And for what purpose? To the glory and praise of God. So Paul opens this joyful, he opens this letter with joyful thanksgiving in the introduction. And then he closes the introduction in this letter with the reason for his joyful thanksgiving. Glory and praise of God. Friend, are you a thankful person? Are you growing in joyful courage because of faith in Jesus? Well, if you are, then may God receive the glory and the praise due for the work that he is doing in your life today. Let's pray. Holy Father, we come before you now. And Lord, may we increase in our joy in Christ. We pray that that joy in Christ would produce in us a greater love for you, a greater love for each other. And also, may it abound with knowledge, informed by your word, what is right and wrong. And may we also be a discerning people, knowing what is best and how best to live our lives 
in a way that is full of wisdom, all to your glory and honor, all to your praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.